Hi, this episode was recorded a few months back and is just now arriving through the 2020 time vortex. We are back on our normal recording schedule, so brand new content is just around the corner. Happy listening. So, yeah. You hear my attitude? <laughs> Thank you. I was just going to let it go. <laughs> welcome to Murder Day on the Office Hello and welcome to The Outpost, a podcast about creative life. Zoop. Today, it is me, Lacey. It is... Mark. It is... Me, Tom. Tequila. Yeah, we all are together. That's what I heard too. What in the world? (laughs) How y'all doing today? (laughs) Just tequila. (laughs) I've been called worse. I took a nap in my car and ate a whole pizza before this. In the last 10 minutes. True. Did you do it at the same time? Impossible, but... Not sequentially. If anyone Depends on could how do you it. set it up. Sequentially, I took a nap in my car and I ate a whole pizza. And now I'm here. And it's going to be a really good episode, I think. <laughs> <laughs> we're all unmedicated. There's naps, there's pizza. The fact that we're unmedicated is a problem. Don't, don't worry about it. I've talked to my doctor. Teresa, mm-hmm. you're going to give us community questions yeah, today. Yeah, I do. I got you... it. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. I do one? going to. <laughs> Can you pick a good one for us? Please can. <laughs> okay. Whew. What are some pop culture products that have affected your creativity or that were foundational to your worldview? Does it have to be products? to that's, our worldview. Like, pop that was the question. Product. I think it can be pop culture, whatever. Good, because products, like I was like, it doesn't Donald have to Duck be orange like, juice? I don't think they're asking like My Little Pony. I think, I mean, I think Star Wars could be an answer. Okay, whatever. so then, good. Star Wars and Star Trek, okay? My mother... When she was a, a small child, she pretended that she had a baby with Spock, and she would carry a, <laughs> she would carry around a slinky and a blanket, and it was her baby with Spock. And also, she went and saw Star Wars, the original one, seventeen times in the movie theater. But like, this, this I, was your. But world. I was an egg inside of her at that time, and I think it's probably affected me very deeply. You see a slinky in a blanket, do you automatically think that Whoa. that's your? No, brother? my own Instagram tagline is. Vulcan-minded, Jedi-hearted. Okay, that's my own personal... Yes, I made up an Instagram tagline for myself. You may all make fun of me. Thank you. That's what it is. Of all the things to make fun of right now, (laughs) that is not high on the list. I do think my whole life has been impacted by Star Trek, Star Wars, even from when I was only an egg. That's beautiful. Okay, who else? What do you got, Mark? I don't have memories going back to when I was an egg. You didn't start... Never mind. Yeah, I mean, Star Wars is huge, right? It's impacted pretty much everyone on the planet. I would say that there is some strong nostalgia there for me because I watched it in the theater when it first came out because I'm getting up there. And I love it. And I love it more now that my daughters are into it. And so we mm. get to share it. And it's kind of like a second generation of kind of admiration for storytelling and stuff like that. I would say foundationally, it got me probably into sci-fi and you know world building early on that's not something that i follow closely anymore right i feel like i've kind of absorbed that content i can be impacted by something every day i can go to a cafe i can watch a truck go by that has you know an image or a phrase on the side of it or anything can actually impact my creativity i feel like i'm constantly barraged with 
new ways of thinking or new ways of seeing things. And so I, I don't know, my mind goes really fast like that. And so I feel like zoop. it's not just pop culture. It's yeah. Tom's on the zoop thing. I, I like it. it is. Uh, <laughs> zoop. Zoop. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't even say anything in that entire segment right there. I will throw out Star Wars and Star Trek. Definitely. I when I was a kid, my dad introduced me to Star Trek and we would sit there and we would eat milkshakes and dip chips in them was our thing. Mm -hmm. And same as everyone. I think those in sci-fi books that got me into a lot of stuff. I'll throw Legos out there. Mm -hmm. Legos. Like if you could take away everything I played with in childhood and I can only keep one thing, it would be Legos. Legos are such a cool mashup of like, like practicing engineering precision and also completely unrestrictive creative play. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. a great point. Um, Legos are cool. Mm -hmm. I still like Legos. Now that my kids are into Legos, I see again just how cool Legos can be for the way that someone perceives the world. Books. Nintendo. The Legend of Zelda had a huge effect on me just because it was so magical. Like everything in that world is almost like spiritually majestic so like anytime i go to create something to write or build a game world or something all the various zelda games over the years have kind of always lingered in the background of they lay like a little foundation of world building for you kind of yeah like th that was sort of the world that and star wars really struck me as like this is what world building can feel like when you inhabit a fictional world zelda and and maybe Lord of the Rings were like the really early things that laid that framework for me as something that can happen. Tom triggered something in me that, no, no, it's fine. No, this is I, PG. This is fine. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I don't even want to know. Positive trigger. No. Okay. So when I was living in Japan, I don't know if any of you guys know this. I was a children's model. I've heard this. I yes. think I've heard this too. Mm -hmm. I modeled for Sony and they had a product they released. It was big in Japan. It was called My Thanks First Sony. I was on the back of the box. I wasn't on the front. Not going to even lie. Like, do you remember Mario Paint that came out oh, like yes. in the mid 90s? So much, especially this, all the fly swatter parts. This was like, imagine a tabletop that was like a tabletop. I mean, the thing was massive. So you had more space. But this was like done in like 86. Like, because I was, I don't know. So I had my own copy of it. And it was awesome because I could sit there and draw on the TV. So this was like teaching me that I could draw and erase stuff and not have like eraser marks because it would just disappear. So it was this really neat, like I can create all of these things before personal computers were a thing. And so it was really fun to be able to interact and see how. Yeah, that's, that's a cool. great was it device. Called? It was called My First Sony. Hmm. Fabulous. That's really early for that kind of tech. That's cool. Right? Japan. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Okay. What's next in the next, what's next from question. the community questions? What's something that you would love to make at Oneb that isn't on the table at the moment, or but you would love it for the future? I have been talking about making a party game about optimism for years. It would be very light. It would be very fun, hilarious, lots of laughter. That's it. It's just just poo poo and optimism. Poo poo. Why is and there poo poo? Puppies. The first time you pitched this game, there was a lot of poop involved. Listen, it's always funny to talk about <laughs> poop. I don't understand the problem. <laughs> it's pooptimism. No, that's not. The, that's that's it's not called the name. Honestly, we could kickstart a game called Pooptimism with some, with some <laughs> like unicorn cover art right now and make three million dollars. Well, yeah, I was just gonna say. Yeah. Okay, so maybe it's back on the table. So <laughs> could we have these discussions? I really want a really nice Sure, we'll have a big team fun. meeting about pooptimism after this. Because my favorite kind of games are 
games about words. <laughs> okay. I like love poop. word-based games. I like fast-paced games. I like games where everyone's laughing. That's what I really bond with people over. And if I could create something that the theme was about optimism and stubborn gladness and positivity around that, I mean, come on, come on. Stubborn gladness is awesome. Thank yeah, you. That's going to be the title of her autobiography. It's from, I stole it from Elizabeth Gilbert. It's not a title of anything, but she talks about it. What would, you love gladness. To, what would you love to make that we're not actively making? I was thinking, is there anything that we've talked about making that we don't actually think that we can do? Well, no. no. That doesn't that mean they're doesn't... in scope yet, though. Yeah. <laughs> I just have them on the list. Here's, like here's what I think this question is. There are not things I wish. We keep refusing to answer exactly what we're working on, so people want to hear something, something specific about what we'd like to make in the future, other than the sky's the limit. Yeah, that's probably very accurate. Socks. I keep oh, wanting yeah. socks. Oh my gosh, what kind? What are we going to do? I mean, I would love some. Okay, like you see these suckers, but okay. They don't. So what don't you don't see, see, what you don't see, because this is a podcast, is that I have got some knee-high unicorn narwhal yeah. love. But imagine... Oatmeal dragon. Well, I, Dude, <laughs> why don't okay, we? If we just put a word mark for pooptimism under that image... See? Yeah, there it we're, is. We're gold mine. It's a narwhal and a unicorn hugging under a giant heart. Yes, and it's repeated. It's a step and repeat because it sucks. Yeah. Okay, I like the socks idea. Oneb socks, please get me some by my birthday next summer. I would like to get more involved with video. For mm -hmm. me growing up, it was always writing and video were the two things that I did creative weirdness with. And we're starting to play with the idea of video, but we just don't have the time to dig into it heavily. I mean, Mark and I talk about making film there it is the that was mine <laughs> take Just, it then if there's something that's on my bucket list for what i want to make it is a feature film or mm. a series like on hbo or something big like that where we're actually able to build a world you know to the scale of game of thrones the human beings or, actually stand in yeah mm -hmm. like that would be world building that would feel visceral because it would have orchestral scores and music and actors and visuals yeah that's I could get really excited. Yeah, Vindication about that. Island as a world that's mm -hmm. that either a series or a movie was set in would be really cool. We would nail that one. That would be fun. I want someone riding a giant turtle. That's what I want. Well, yeah, of course. Okay, that's implied. Be, can the can actress the... be? I don't want to act in it, you know, because I don't have those skills. But like, oh yeah, you, you would hate that. Based after me, that I could, you know, could. Okay, that's enough. I understand. I would also like at some point to work on a video game at least once. I would like that. Really? That would you, be that would be good. I don't know if I would. I feel like that would just be so like I I guess I only imagine like the the development side and so I'm like that would just be so tedious. I I don't want to work on some like 400 person burnout 90 hours a week triple a massive you know people are writing press releases about how abusive our environment is to get the game done game but like yeah wow. that sounds horrible wow <laughs> like, that sounds That's, like a nightmare yeah, yeah i wouldn't want that, that either well. well. yeah tom pick up what i was throwing down i was like Ooh, mm -hmm. no That's, that's not the kind of thing but like there are some smaller indie type video games that are made by like teams of five or six people, but they still manage to create a world that you get to inhabit with interesting decisions mm -hmm. that would be really fun. I would enjoy that. Sometimes there are things that we would like to do with board games that just aren't possible. But if it was digital, we could take basically the same game premise, but pull off a couple of the things that just aren't possible without digital 
assistance. That would be fun. What else is in that digital bag? What does your workspace look like? What's on your desk? Word space. Work. Work. Mm. I I heard word space too. (laughs) No, I mean, you guys have been seeing way too many ads for some kind of crossword game. (laughs) Is it Spartan and organized? Is it cluttered with creative widgets and notepads? What's your workspace look like, Teresa? So mine really depends on the moment. Like right now, it's kind of like, but I mean, prior to that, it's just. It's like, shoo. No, <laughs> I, the question wasn't make a sound effect. Describe your workspace in, in guttural <laughs> noises. <laughs> no, I mean, so I kind of like that question. No, I know, that's, do that. Starts grunting. It's yeah. a better question. <laughs> Mine's like. That's what mine feels like. That's what my workspace is. So how I prefer it when my brain isn't all over the place is there is a monitor stand. I like to keep couple little toys up there that have just kind of <laughs> accumulated throughout my <laughs> they guys... bring you joy <laughs> all the gesturing you're doing the voices and, and and toys up there. Yeah. <laughs> she's got a little bunny food it's like boop, boop, boop. <laughs> i may or may not have slept at all this week yeah and i'm uh, sure it's i got you there's like a you know a little picture of my daughter okay and that's like pretty clean pretty neat even if my brain is at all disorganized my desk is a direct reflection of that mm-hmm. so do you even have a desk? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, hmm, my workspace is my brain, <laughs> you know, because like I just floors and cars. I and- pop around from my room that I share with my children. I'll go outside a lot of the times. So I do have an office that has a desk set up, but I use it. Are you talking about the desk in the, the bathroom? Time. No, listen, that's a different one. I'm talking about right now. My desk at my workspace has six pumpkins on it. So there's that. Those were props in a photo shoot. But is there room for your laptop? Did I mean, you know? Did you know that that wasn't a joke comment by me? That she actually has a desk that folds no, down know, in, the, know. in front of the for toilet. That, that okay. podcast. Okay. And I was very concerned. Listen, it has served us all very well at the Lingle House. Okay, so <laughs> you should try having a pull-down desk in front of your toilet. It's very functional. I recommend it to everyone who wants to live a creative life. It just sounds like an Ikea ironing board situation where you got to cram 500 extra square feet of stuff into your space. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. So yeah, my desk sounds like... That's what it sounds like? I think so. If I had to give it a sound effect, that's what it would be like. No real rhythm to it. Just kind of a cacophony. Mine are super minimal. I work at coffee shops. I work at my desk at the office. I work at my desk at home. And I just basically plug my laptop in and my headphones and I just go. Yeah, you have no decorations. You have no... I feel very transient in my workspace as well. So I don't really move that inspiration around. Now, the office is pretty stacked with, you know, action figures and cool little pop culture things and images and stuff like that. And, And I've got a lot of that stuff in my house too. But as far as the workspace, I prefer it to be very clean and minimal. It's, you know, I have a sketchbook and a pen and a laptop and earbuds. That's it. It's just go time. Do you use the earbuds even when you're by yourself? Yeah. Maybe that's what's wrong with your ear. <laughs> no, that's that's why I do it is because it actually oh. helps me. I have Meniere's disease, so it affects my hearing is what she's getting at. And I just don't know if it's healthy to have so, things shoved well, in your ears all the time. sometimes I can't use them because the balance is so off. If mm-hmm. it's acting up, I can't use earbuds. But usually if I do it, it helps drown out all the extra noise that is confusing to my brain. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 
I have two workspaces and they're very different. My one at home, which is really focused on me just having a clear head. And so it's very minimal. There's nothing. And if I ever go to work at home and there's like things around or someone has piled stuff in that room, like I have a nervous breakdown and I have to completely clean the room and have everything be perfect. So I have zero distractions when I'm working. The one at the office is more about fostering like a certain mindset. So there's more creative stuff and business books and things like that. When I'm at the office, I don't want to feel like clinical and Spartan. I want to feel a little more surrounded by creative things and thinkers that I respect and be reminded of the things that those books have taught me. And so they're both different. I will say that the couple of times my daughter's come in, she gravitates to your workspace and it's always when you're not here and she doesn't touch, but she's like, wow, just looking at things. And I'm like, what are you doing? There's toys here. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Tom works in a playpen is what he does most of the time. It's like a classy playpen. It's a class, yeah. Yeah, It's it's got 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 maturity to it. (laughs) An executive playpen. All right, what's next? All right, Teresa. (laughs) Teresa's broken today. I am. (laughs) She's a whimper. I am. (laughs) What's your favorite chain restaurant you're embarrassed to admit you like for fear of losing your cred? Well, I don't have any cred, so I'll just, I have a hard time. Not going to Taco Bell at least once a month. I can't not do it. I've actually weaned myself pretty much off of all fast food. I'm actually doing really good. I'm doing really a tremendous amount of cooking right now. But if there is a time crunch and there's one place I'm going to go, I'm going to go get two crunchy tacos. (laughs) I knew you were going to go there. If there's a time crunch, crunchy taco time. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No, taco time is a different place. You're right. When it came out, I thought about that too. Are they still in business? A little bit. A little bit. That's that's always (laughs) been true of them. It's like there's one in every state. Yeah. (laughs) It looks really gross. They took over the old Taco Bells that didn't work out. I don't know. I'm not embarrassed of any food choices. So Then what's your favorite chain restaurant? I love to go to Chipotle. Mm. I mean, Mm. Chipotle, give me a steak burrito, give me a veggie bowl, put that guac on it, put that queso sauce on it. That's my life. I'm with Lacey. Anything that doesn't hurt me and I have eating restrictions, I'm down for. Yeah. I need no cred. There is no shame in my game. I'm basically all cred, but mostly because of eating restrictions. So Mm -hmm. like, I can't remember the last time I went to a chain food restaurant. I do remember Taco Bell fondly. Like if I could eat whatever I wanted, I would go get a chalupa right now. No Mm. question. Full stop. Supreme. But whatever. All of them. One of each. The one with the gordita on the outside of the taco. And then the crunch. But I I haven't been to Taco Bell in probably 12 years. Somebody brought up snacks We are in control. This is all I wanted to talk about. (laughs) I know. That's the problem. (laughs) Okay. That's all from the bag. That was it. Okay, so let's go ahead and transition to our main topic for today then. Main topic. Zoop, zoop. Thank you, boys, for your main topic transition sound. So many bad things right now. Okay. That should be the the transition sound. Side note, I'm thinking terrible things right now. Can I get to our main topic now, Tom? Would you just do it? Okay. Just talk over us. That's what it takes. You said taco? I did. Anything that sounds like a snack and you have her attention. 
Okay, so today main topic is not crunchy tacos. It's not Taco Bell. It's not melty cheese. Ugh. We're going to talk a little bit about agility today, okay? As I was looking and preparing a little bit, the one word agility doesn't f- feel like it encompasses all of it. So I'm going to bring in the words of adaptability and flexibility into this conversation too. So when we're thinking about living a creative life and we're thinking about how we do that successfully, what kind of a role does agility play in living a creative life? Mark, what's your opinion? Well, we've talked a lot in the past couple of episodes about the end of the industrial age and into this kind of connection era that we're in now in our culture. So in my opinion, it's never been more true than it is today that you learn to adapt or you get beat up by anybody else who's out there doing what you're doing. Now, when I say that, I also believe that, you know, I don't believe in the old world concept of competition, right? I think you're the only ones that can do what you're doing, right? We're the only Orange Nebula. There's only one company that's like yours because of the people that's in it, right? You can compare Coke and Pepsi and you can talk about comparisons and competitive nature of things like that. But the nature of the game is not to be better than someone else. It's to be the only one that's you. And so, but that being said, I feel like if you're not adaptive to what's happening in culture, what's happening in your marketplace, if you don't learn to develop your agility and your flexibility and how you take corners, so to speak, you know, I mean, you have to do that to actually have the most impact on what you're doing. Agility, I think about a gazelle and a cheetah, right? Okay. Well, the cheetah wins sometimes because the cheetah is faster usually, but it doesn't have near the agility that a gazelle does. It was really hard to catch those gazelles and antelopes are even faster just for the record. Thank you. Somebody played a lot of Zootopia. That's not where I got it, but <laughs> there are real, there are real gazelles in the world and real antelopes too. <laughs> I think agility is probably one of the most underrated most crucial and critical attributes that a company can have because things change. We know now more than we ever have. 2020, we've got COVID-19. We've got all these other things. All kinds of things are changing. They're making things harder for a lot of people. And being able to adapt and turn on a dime is going to be way more advantageous than trying to make things work the way that they worked two years ago. You can't operate the way you did two years ago as a restaurant right now. Mm-mm. You can't do that. Right. It just doesn't work. So what are you going to do? Are you just going to shut down? In some cases, I mean, some folks don't have a choice, right? Not to use that example. I think that if you don't learn to adapt and you don't learn to be flexible and you develop the agility, you're going to have a very hard time as things change. And it is one of the factors, I think, that makes the greatest, most charismatic brands successful is their ability to adapt. Well, you look at companies that just have failed to make that adaptation. You look at like, I mean, Blockbuster is a good example. I mean, there's what, only one store in the nation now where it used to be the largest thing. Why is there one store left? What are they doing? Why? I don't know. I now guess it's become like a tourist. It's in Bend. It's like yeah. a tourist attraction. Seriously? Now. Yeah, no, it, it's, oh, it's a funny. thing. And people like will take pictures at the last mm-hmm. blockbuster. Yeah, the last one. Mm-hmm. It's like the unicorn now. But no, there's a lot of companies that if they fail to innovate, if they fail to keep pushing that, you know, that process, they go stagnant. And so at some point they either get to push and go back to being innovative or they just start dropping off. It's 
you know, like from biology, adapt, migrate, or die. And brands are no different. Mm-hmm. When you mentioned this yesterday, I got to thinking about what does it mean for a business to be adaptable? Like, how do you be adaptable? And what I started thinking a lot about was you struggle to adapt when you put too much attention on your plan. Okay. So, and I've seen this in businesses that I've worked for where the focus is making a plan and it's a very industrial approach to business and to life. We are going to make and execute the perfect five-year business plan. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is you can't pivot with the plan because as soon as something changes, your plan is broken and you're just lost. Mm -hmm. If what you prioritize are identifying and perfecting what are our values and what is our goal? Because if you have a goal, you can always keep your sights on that goal no matter what the heck happens. It's like you have an anchor point to Mm -hmm. be able to flex and adapt from. And... If you know what your values are, and this is something Mark was talking about on a previous episode, I think, knowing what your values are help you make quick decisions. And if you have a plan in mind, or if you have a a goal in mind, if your way of getting there, if the path to getting there breaks, or something's in the way, or the culture changes in some way where you can't do what you were doing, you can turn to your values to switch onto a new path that's just still pointing at that same goal. Right. And so I feel like those two things, understanding your group's values to make pivots based on and knowing what the goal is, the plan, you barely need one, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. But if there's too much stock in the plan, you become very unagile. Yeah, it's interesting because I think it's a lot scarier to be in a situation where you're trying to adapt and be spontaneous to a situation than it is to just follow what you've always done, right? Like, well, it's always worked this way. And, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And that's kind of the old world thinking. The new world thinking is, well, what if it's not like that tomorrow? Sometimes it's going to be too late by the time you try to move if you're too rigid in your thinking. And I think it, it does boil down to how often you reflect and how much you think about this before the time comes. So there is some planning involved, I think. But planning to be agile, not planning to be static. awareness, yeah. It's an interesting topic because you don't have all the data. The whole point is you don't have all the data points. And some people don't feel comfortable unless they have all of the data. See, I think a lot of companies operate Mm -hmm. as if they do have all the data points. Or that they really have the ability to gain all the data points. Mm -hmm. Which is impossible. And we will now maximize efficiency, blah, 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 based on all the data points. And then the data points change. And it's like, well, crap, there goes everything. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, it's like that whole rewatching Apollo 13 and then them having to pivot countless times in a matter of hours because they hadn't accounted for not hauling 300 pounds of moon rock back. And what if they had done nothing but plan to do that and respond and react and change on the fly for their entire career. And that's all they were. They're like, this is what we do every day. Mm-hmm. We just adapt. Yeah, I think It w- becomes second nature and you become good at it. And what you find is other folks can't keep up with that from a competitive standpoint. Now, again, I don't think it's about competition, but I think the more nimble you are and the more flexible you are, the more you're able to accomplish with very little. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think part of what you're describing is being open-minded. 
if you are open-minded, you will be more adaptable, you will be more flexible. And I think people put a lot of stock in their routines and in like, this is what works best for me, so this is what I'm gonna do. And I think if you make a routine out of stepping out and putting yourself in new situations and learning new things and making that part of your day-to-day where you're constantly encountering new things and adapting to them, and that's part of the plan is to be open-minded and be encountering new things, then when new things are put on you, you're used to that. That's part of your regular operating procedure is just adapting to new things. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with that. And I think it's difficult for people to come out of their comfort zone in a situation like that, because a lot of people and myself included, most people just, you know, there's a point at which you just want to relax. Like you don't want to always be grinding, right? You don't always want to be doing the work. That's the whole reason you build a process is to make things simpler, Mm -hmm. right? Is to make things easier. So you don't have to make constant decision after decision. You can make a decision one time and then follow. Right. Right. This is just another way to solve problems, right? It's a different methodology. And at the root of all of this is just problem solving, right? And I think the thing that holds a lot of people back, both in their career and in any other endeavor that they have, is they limit themselves with thinking that there's only one way to get something done. And that's probably one of the predominant thoughts that I have about this topic is and I'll just put myself in there again, I think for a lot of years, I was taught the right way to do something or there was the, you know, there's a couple ways to do that. And those are the textbook time tested proven ways. Well, not anymore, right? Like somebody else innovated some other way that just destroyed the status quo for how that's been done in the past, right? You know, Encyclopedia Britannica is not really a thing anymore. Yeah, right? remember remember Encarta Encyclopedia discs that you mm-hmm. put in to do your reports in middle school? I do. And before that, they had uh, these things called books that you would actually buy. <laughs> they were really um, heavy. And read them. Yeah. Sometimes technology and things happen so quickly that you can't adapt, right? Like, don't get me wrong. Like, we're all susceptible to these things. Like, COVID hit. None of us feel like we're going fast enough, right? In response to it in our lives. I mean, schooling, let's talk about schooling right now. Let's not. But I think one of the things that we strive for here is actually we have a benefit here at Orange Nebula, and that is we don't know what our industry is going to be like two years from now. And most industries are that way, but we're acutely aware that you know, board games used to be something that you would go and they would go through a distribution model and you'd buy them at the local mom and pop board game store, pop culture store, comic shop. And then crowdfunding came in and changed everything, right? So a lot of people had a hard time adapting to that, the old world. And now even with the new model, even the crowdfunding for board games is changing a lot as well. And the market has flooded and it seems really easy to a lot of folks. And those people go through the process and they find, well, it's not really as easy as I thought it was. And then you've got big companies doing things differently than they used to. And you've got small companies coming in, learning everything. And that's just one example So going back to something Tom said, as he was talking about how, and maybe you touched on this as well, a lot of companies will get caught up on the process, right? You mean, if you have this big overarching goal, and then if you think of milestones to hit as objectives, if you think of it like that loosely, you're like, okay, well, I just have to to pivot to get to this objective, to get to that objective, to hit that milestone. 
but often you get people who are like, well, but we need to send this many emails this quarter and we have to have this many touch points and we have to. So, I mean, I feel like on a whole worldwide speaking, many companies overthink that rigidity of, a, you know, sticking to a plan. Am I, am I babbling? Has the sleep deprivation hit new levels? <laughs> You're not even here right now. No, right. This, right. this is all a dream. One thing that I'm thinking about in regards to that and what everybody else is saying too is I'm wondering how much the size of an organization affects its ability to be agile and adapt. It's so much easier from my perspective with a smaller organization and brand to be able to adapt and flex and move because you only have to tell a few people, right. you only have to mm. change a few things. You can only turn the Titanic so quickly. Right. Right. And I've seen that. I mean, as I've worked with other companies, and I'm sure as some of you all have worked with larger companies and you try to implement something new and the ability to implement something new has to be approved here. It has to be presented here. It has to be approved here. It has to be done there. And then it might be implemented in the next eight months. And I hate that personally. I mean, that's I would never want that for my whole life because the lack of agility and flexibility is just nauseating. The larger an organization becomes, the more dependent it becomes on processes, right? 100%. The, prob the problem with that, for organizations that don't empower their people to make decisions outside of the process, they're going to fail in those situations because there's no rules and regulations and processes outlined for what I do in this situation, and now I'm stunned and I can't move forward. And that will kill a company, a brand, a product. People have to think and that is the point. If something happens in real life and you blow a tire on the road and you hit a deer and like a bunch of things happen and you, you're looking now, now you're worried about your, your safety and their situation, there's no manual for all the things in life, right? Well, it's the same with business. And I think a lot of folks, they try so hard to get everything so finite and in like, this is all outlined on page 37, right? But you can't do that in life. And business is just another aspect of life. And I think the thing that is really important from my perspective, and some of the hardest lessons I've learned, are you have to enable people to make the decision, even if they make the wrong one, and fail, and cost the company money, and learn a hard lesson, so that they get into the position where they're comfortable making decisions on the fly, in the moment, when nobody else is there and they feel vulnerable. And I don't know if my boss is going to like this decision or not, but I have to make the call right now. The more of that exists, the more agility you're going to have. And the more of that that exists with everybody in your organization, I think the better. It's funny because you see those big businesses that are all products of the old industrial model trying to systematize this agility and there's like a weird like contradictory thing there but that's how you get bs like six sigma and all these things where it's like how do we develop a system for creativity and maneuvering mm -hmm. and it's like well you can't and they're trying to like retroactively do what we're talking about and i mean i think there will always be mega cores amazon's not going anywhere there will always be some handful of companies that grow to that level. But I think the future will be smaller, more agile companies. And, you know, we're going to slowly see over time, with the exception of these huge, massive things like Amazon, 
you know, I mean, we have watched box stores all die, big chains all die. Like, I think that's only going to accelerate and we're going to see the survival of agile companies with the exception of those huge things. But most middle-sized big companies are trying to become more agile and business school is slowly trying to incorporate all that while also still being deeply rooted in old industrial world because that's what it was created for was to make people that could do that and so it's like this weird tug thing going on that yeah yeah it's a complex balance because what you have is a brand trying to be consistent to their audience and to their staff internally so you want to have processes i'm not saying that you shouldn't right you have to like this is the voice of our brand and it should be this mm -hmm. way and we have to be consistent about that. We have to do all kinds of things in branding about being, you know, clear about being consistent and constantly doing those things. At the same time, you have to give people the latitude and the leash to be able to use their own creativity and the way that they would do things to serve that purpose, that consistent purpose. You can't tell people exactly how to do everything. That's a recipe for disaster, in my opinion, because the way that Tom gets up and does his inspiration and his creativity in the morning is different than what Teresa does, is different than what Lacey does. We all get up at different times. We have different methodologies for that. Mine's different than yours. And if I tried to have everybody do things the way that I do it, it wouldn't work. They would hate it. And if they tried to get me to do it the way that they do it, I would not respond because we're all different. The power that we have is that we are different. And when we make this mosaic, is the word I use, this mosaic of people and processes and ideas and perspectives, when they all come together and they're all coming at from different angles, the breadth of our perception becomes much wider, and then we can become more agile. It's funny how... This thinking is still kind of new. Like the world is no longer built where you can make a business like Staples. Like I will start the new, you know, Office Max or the new Home Depot or the, you know, like those. You can't start one of those businesses now. They're we don't just, need them. Yeah, the world doesn't want them. Mm -hmm. And the old ones are still trying to figure out how to exist, but you can't start a new one. But the funny thing is, is all of the ways that we think are still rooted as if that's the way things are. Mm -hmm. And like you look at Valve, who put out their employee handbook, I think probably five, six years ago, maybe 10 years ago now. And in there, it specifically explicitly says, you will never be fired for making a mistake. And like, absolutely like it was a news story mm -hmm. that was such revolutionary thinking but that is the kind of thinking that's necessary to survive now but that's not what's being taught it's not what has become the prevailing wisdom yet right because that is what fosters creativity and agility and the maneuverability required to survive the current world but we don't think that way yet one thing I've been wanting to find a way to talk about in here is that agility, flexibility, adaptability, these are not inborn skills, right? These are not things that you just have. They are all things that you practice. 
and that you have to stretch and there's a little bit of pain involved because if you don't go far enough that you feel a little bit of pain, if you don't fail a little, then you're you're not really being agile. Mm-hmm. You're staying safe, right? And so you're stretching, you're increasing your flexibility. The real definition of flexibility is bending easily without breaking. And that bending easily without breaking only happens as you've built up these sinews in your muscles, right? If we're talking about your real body, you're building up this looseness in your muscles that comes from stretching them day after day after day. When they say you will never be fired for making a mistake, that's giving people the opportunity to stretch. Mm -hmm. I give you the freedom to stretch. It will hurt. It'll hurt everybody a little bit, but that's part of becoming agile and flexible. Because it serves the greater purpose of what that means. We're willing to have all kinds of micro failures so that we can have this tremendous victory. Right. right? Was that Valve thing, does he bring that up in Icarus Deception? Is that why that popped to mind? I don't think it's in Icarus Deception, but... Mm. I don't even know what company Valve is right now. Off the top. Valve is, they were originally a computer game developer. They made Half-Life okay. and Counter-Strike. But oh, then okay, they made okay. Steam, the platform mm. where you get all your PC games these days, gotcha. which is total left turn yeah. because let's innovate, let's let's maneuver. Right. Let's. I love, I love the metaphor or the analogy that you're painting with the building up that flexibility because I think it speaks really well to what Mark was talking about earlier with make a habit of trying new things and being agile as part of the plan. You can model that behavior as a leader, mm-hmm. as a parent, as a coworker, modeling the behavior of being open about where you stretched and you did fail. If you're the first one to bring to the table, okay, I tried this, I failed then other people feel like they have the ability to say, okay, well, I'm going to try this then, even if I do Mm -hmm. fail. And as we do it together over and over and over, it just becomes our way of being. Yeah. If you consistently expose yourself to new situations, when a new situation exposes itself to you, it's not a big shakeup. Yeah. And also when you have this like freedom and this trust and you know, you're not going to be fired for making a mistake you also are able to take more ownership and that level of ownership allows you to dominate your sphere. You know, you're able to go above and beyond and really hammer out all these details. And my whole thought about, you know, what work is, is your job, no matter what you do is to make your boss look good. And their job is to make their boss and go all the way up. And once you get to the very top, it's to make all the shareholders. Like, so everybody's supposed to make everybody else happy. If I'm empowered by you guys to go out and do the best that I can and to know I'm not going to get fired for making a mistake. I'm going to take more risks. I'm going yeah. to, I'm going to ultimately Stretch. do my best mm-hmm. to make everybody look good. Making mistakes to try to solve problems is okay. Well, I'm mm-hmm. just trying to fix this problem. I tried three different things and they all failed. And then the fourth one works, right? And that's the way I see it is like in business, all we're doing is taking problems away from people, from our clients, from our boss, from our staff. It's just like, if you can just take problems away from people, they'll pay you for that. I promise. That's mm-hmm. just, that's, it's very simple. Mm-hmm. The thing that comes to mind as we're having this discussion is the difference. And I look back at 25 years of brand work. I've predominantly dealt with a certain class of thinking from the people who own the businesses that I work with. And one of the things, again, that holds them back is there's what I'm going to call proactive agility and responsive agility. The problem with responsive agility is something will happen in the world that changes a marketplace 
And a year and a half later, when it really is probably too late, I'll get a business owner will come to me and be like, we really need to adapt. Our competition is destroying us because our website doesn't work like theirs and we don't have a strong brand and we don't all these different things. And by then I'm like, you're dead. Okay. Don't come to me when you're, when you're so getting destroyed by everyone's one else, hoping that I'm going to save your company. Cause I can't do that. Just like a personal trainer can't fix your body after, you know, you've had decades of treating it a specific way. It will take that much time to fix it. You're saying you can protect yourself by leading. So you're not always in a responsive position. You're not chasing everyone else. Pro- proactive agility. So again, the, the problem there, just time after time, I mean, decade after decade, I hear people say, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. We're not going to mess with the system that makes us money, that makes us. And the problem with that is, and this is a quote that you brought up this week, if the entire staff is working for the company, they're going to get blown away by the people next door who are working for a cause, right? right? Proactive agility is taking the time and the investment and the resources to have the awareness to wonder what's around the corner before you get around the corner. You have to have some sensibility and awareness, just like the gazelle lifts its head to see what was that rustling I heard in the brush, right? Well, there's a cheetah. (laughs) Okay. Like it's, I'm dinner. If I don't learn to adapt, if I don't learn to read the signs before it's too late. And I love that analogy, number one, because it's just real life. And I feel like a lot of these companies who become dinner are the ones that had the opportunity, but just didn't do the work of building up those sensibilities, you know, heightening their awareness Mm -hmm. and seeing, you know, and listening and stopping and being willing to change what they've done, no matter how, how much work it is. And I say that knowing that this isn't true in every scenario, right? There's some scenarios that just come and you just like, you're done, right? And I get that. I've been in those situations. But I really have a lot of respect for the leaders that I've seen in business and outside of business who do so much listening and they process, it seems like, twice as much information because they're less focused on what happened yesterday and all this success that they had yesterday. And they're more focused and they know that tomorrow may be different, right? Like you just don't know at all. You don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen in the board game industry. We don't know what's going to happen in pop culture. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow with anything. COVID's proof of that, right? Like just one big, easy example. It's funny. I read Bob Iger's book, the now retired CEO of Disney. Mm -hmm. And what was really striking me is that his main objective basically at all times, like all he was paying attention to was staying ahead of change because like if change comes and you're not right there with it or right ahead of it, like you're hosed. Right. And so every decision he was making was what's going to be this case, what's around the corner so that I'm ready for it when it comes. And we have spent the last two years preparing for the thing that's around the corner. Like all he was focused on was not what has worked or how can our systems be better. He let everyone else worry about that. All he focused on was keeping his head on the swivel for change. It's all about forecasting, right? Like if it's summer and you haven't thought about ordering beanies for winter, 
you're already too late. You know, if you're a clothing retailer, I should have started with that part. (laughs) If you're just a consumer, summer's the wrong time to be thinking about beanies, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think that's how companies need to always be future-minded, you know, like Iger. Yeah, and the proactive agility might be, it looks to me like we're actually not going to have a cold winter or fall this year. Maybe we shouldn't order those beanies this year like everybody else has trained themselves to do. Mm -hmm. It's not just thinking ahead it's reading the signs that are different now as they have been every other time right it's really easy to set a reminder in july you know what i mean like this is what businesses do they build a process but the process is not trustworthy when things change that's the thing that i think so many people miss and i miss you know we miss like this is something we all should be working on I keep being hit, though, by the idea that part of adaptability and part of being agile is following a process of analyzing how things are working, right? We have to have a process in place that allows us to plan, act, analyze, change, plan, you know. We have to have that process in place. Otherwise, we won't know where to step because we won't even know where our last foot was if we haven't been looking back and analyzing some too. But with processes, are you married to them or do they help inform choices? Like, and I think that's really what we're all getting around is that if we are consumed with this idea of after A, we do B and then B, we do C and C has four steps, we lose track of the, we're baking a cake. And Mm -hmm. if we're out of eggs, I got to use flaxseed or I got to call the neighbor or I've got to, you know, like we have to be able to pivot. Is flaxseed cake a thing? I think. Yeah. No, yeah. You can use flaxseed as an egg substitute. Really? Yeah. Yeah, Or bananas too. And that's actually a really good example. I really like that. You know, I've many times been wanting to make something. I don't have all the ingredients. I'm like, you know, it's too late for me. I can't go to the store now. Mm -hmm. What can I improvise with? Mm -hmm. Improvisation is a part of this. And Nobody likes to improvise, right? I do. But, yeah, except Lacey. There's that. <laughs> There's that. It's true. But I've practiced that all my life, so it's not a skill. It's a... Oh, wait. It's not a... How does that go? Don't look at me. Part of, part of the conversation is learning to be okay with discomfort. And the more you do it, the more comfortable you get with it. And the better you get at it, the more confident you get. And then it's not really uncomfortable at all. And then you find that you just have tremendous agility. Like and stretching, like l- physical stretching. I know yeah. I go back to that all the time just because I grew up as a dancer. And so my body knows, it knows, you know, I've, I've spent decades stretching and moving and adapting. And now that I'm not doing it as much, I know how difficult it is for me to flex and leap and jump without having that everyday buildup of flexibility. Yeah, it is a discipline, which is interesting because... It's almost on the other side of what exactly. I'm saying, right? Uh-huh. So like you have to discipline yourself, which is essentially a process. Exactly. Right? For being adaptable as things change. Yes. Right? Well, it's That's what makes it hard for I think people because you can't really pinpoint it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it breaks way out of a routine and was as you know, as we know most people settle into a routine because it makes them more comfortable. Well, and cuz it's working. Mm-hmm. And, and if it ain't broke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, but I think that that's, like Mark said, is folly. Mm-hmm. But I think what well, basically what we're saying is the same thing from a different angle over and over again, which is 
what we've been saying. I, I guess I don't need to say it again. It, <laughs> Why don't you say it from a different angle yeah. one more time <laughs> before I wrap angle. it up for us? Plan on being flexible. And that is what you as a company and as a culture in your business or in your team or in your family or whatever, focus on being a culture of adapting thinking around things in different ways, balancing convergent and divergent thinking, and make what are our values and what are our goals and make those things the priority. And yes, you can make processes and you should make processes, but that is not the goal to have perfect processes. Right. And that you need to be mindful and intentional about stretching the muscle of experiencing new things and having your team experience new things and come at things from different angles and see that as a core tenet of who you are is we are flexible. Even if you're doing the same thing for 10 years because it's working, still maintain the importance and the value of being flexible within that. Yes, and we didn't even really get to the point of talking about like when we have challenges coming at us, or obstacles coming at us, embracing them with curiosity, you know, because we could feel like they're a roadblock, right? And then we're running into them, or we could see them coming and we could go, oh, isn't that interesting? And that way we can be more agile than if we're just running full steam with our plan and not even looking to see what's coming. Yes. I'm catching what you're saying from a different perspective. Okay. The things that are in your way might be just the very opportunity that could change everything. Right. And if you see them as an obstacle, it's different than seeing them as an opportunity. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right? And the only constant in life is change, right? So if you're actually not planning for change, putting a process in place or a discipline in place for change, that's your problem, mm -hmm. right? And that's what's, that's what's going to hold you back. The perfect example of that is the music industry. Like, all the record labels see... Napster and LimeWire and then eventually iTunes and all these things as being like this obstacle, this change that's negative. And it ends up destroying them, all of them, mm -hmm. because instead of seeing it as an opportunity and a, a cool new way to innovate and change what we're doing, they just fight it. Like dig and in deeper. You can't yeah. stop change from coming. Mm -hmm. And everyone keeps continues to try to prevent change for some reason. Still, we try to prevent change. And change is inevitable. This is going to sound really deep, maybe, but... Let's hear it. As you adapt, if you lean into the humanity part, you find yourself going against the grain a lot less, like what Tom is saying. Like, people want... They have an idea, and they adhere to it, and they get stuck on it, and they get... It's their vision and their, their passion. But if it doesn't align with the human spirit and what people really want, it doesn't serve to help people relate to each other, it's probably going to be very difficult to be successful. If your bottom line and your foundation is, we know that this is going to work because people are going to feel great about themselves and they're going to feel great about other people, it's probably going to work. Mm -hmm. Even if you have to adapt and change and flex your methodology, if you end up putting people in a better state than the one that you found them, it's probably going to work. Yeah, because it's a connection economy now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
Okay, are we all happy? We feel like we covered all the points. Everything on my list, I feel like I got covered. Are you all happy? Your process. Can we go complete? back and be funnier? This was a very sober business talk we just had. That's right. Well, the I very beginning was me laughing until I was crying. That's so there's true. that. So there was like a false. It's a nice balance setup. Yeah. Uh -huh. Mark did do some fun inflection of voice every time that he said gazelle. <laughs> <laughs> so say that, it again. You should hear me say antelope. Okay. That didn't work, did it? Yeah. I kind of liked it. I mean, it was kind of endearing. Yeah, okay. I felt the discouragement right away. No. I'll have to, I'll change it next time. No, Dad. You didn't I'll just feel discouragement that. from Lacey. That's what she's trying to say. <laughs> you felt the discouragement. You're just putting it in the wrong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wrong side of the couch. <laughs> All right. Well, we are very grateful. I appreciate always being able to sit with you three and be able to talk about gazelles and stretching and, and dinner. Dinner, of course, obviously. So thank you all for your time. Thank you, of course, for listening and spending some time with us. If you know anybody who would value this content or whose voice would really resonate within this community, we would love if you could share this episode with them. Um, you can invite them to the Outpost community or you can point us in their direction so we can hunt them down and find them and bring them into the fold. We want to eat them. Like a cheetah in the mm. gazelle. Yes. <laughs> okay. Send them to us. <laughs> we will convert them to a creative life. <laughs> With a weird massacre. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Teresa. <laughs> <laughs> that evil laugh that she gives oh, us every time. It's just like, Teresa doesn't seem happy. I don't know. Mention a massacre. Right. <laughs> All right, thank Joy you. has returned. Send her a We're picture gonna get of out of here. She's going to get back to looking at massacres on her computer. <laughs> We've all got problems. We hope you have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day. We will talk to you soon. Goodbye. She's mainlining darkness. <laughs>you want me to sing the intro? The whole thing. Not the always. whole thing. A creative. <laughs> Welcome to the Outpost of Podcast about creative life. Hey. Yeah, that was <laughs> hey. three more times. <laughs>